the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If the church is to be the church like Jesus set it up, it's a church that's passionate about building his kingdom together. They're not passionate about building our kingdoms. We have to do it together. We can't be alone. The one thing we fight for in church is that we want to fight to be better together. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Does it matter? In fact, if the church is an organization, if you just look at it from the outside, it appears to be ineffective, dysfunctional, and frankly, outdated. If the church is a religious institution, it appears to be filled with people who either don't know what they are supposed to believe or don't care to do what they are supposed to be doing. But according to Scripture, the church is not an organization or an institution. The church is people. And in my mind, that is a much more challenging problem because all people are flawed. According to Scripture, we're all stained and scarred by this thing called sin that makes us broken. So now this institution that is supposed to have this perfect purpose of God is filled with broken things, with broken people. And that's a problem. True confession is that's a problem for me. Sometimes I don't like people very much. I remember growing up, I would talk to my dad, a pastor, and my brother, a pastor. We'd talk about how things were going and One of them might would say, well, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. And before you get offended by that, though that is a true statement, before you get offended by that, please know that includes me. (laughs) There's a lot of times I don't like me very much. I I frustrate me. I I don't like the choices I've made. I, I don't like the things that I bring about. And so sometimes I would prefer to be alone. But the truth is, as I open God's word, it's easy to see that's not an option if I am to be a healthy part of his healthy church. If I'm to live my life the way he intends and accomplish the things that he wants me to accomplish in my life. If I want to fulfill his mission, if I want to be at my best, I can't do it alone. I have to do it together. I have to recognize that in God's creation, we are better together. And that's what was going on in this earliest group of Christ followers who would become the church. 
we're viewing them through the lens of Scripture in Acts chapter 1. They've not yet really formulated as a church, but they're on their way. Think about those who would become the church. Think about how they must have felt. Is it worth it? Does it matter? I mean, one minute Jesus is here, the next he's gone. Uh, imagine their anxiety, their exhilaration, the roller coaster ride of those six weeks between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Literally, one minute he's there, the next he's gone. They didn't know what to expect, how things were really going to turn out, what it would be. They were about 120 of them by that point, outcast, uneducated, ill-informed. Not the influencers of society, but God would use them to birth his church. The body of Christ, it's called. The bride of Jesus. The family of God. The church. That's what we're looking at in Acts chapter 1. Because that's where it all began. Years ago, Dr. Billy Graham, who studied here in Temple Terrace... He went to a city for a crusade. You may not know this, but during much of his ministry, he was not very popular. He would go to a city, and often it would be the religious leaders who would put up their hands to try to stop him. And in one of those gatherings, the religious leaders were meeting, and one of the pastors said, I don't want this Billy Graham coming to our city. He'll set the church back 50 years. Word of that got back to Dr. Graham. And when he was told, he just smiled. He said, that's not my goal. I want to set it back 2,000 years. And that's why we're looking in the book of Acts. What we really should do, if, if you want to understand, do we need to bother with the church? We really should ask, does church look like what the scripture says it should look like? Are we doing the things we're supposed to be doing? Are we not doing some things that we should be doing. That's why we're bothering. Last week we learned just some early identifying characteristics of the people who would make up the church. Because we learned that the church is people and the church is people passionate about a person. And that person is Jesus. Let's say his name together. Jesus. Jesus made it clear on the first words of the book of Acts recorded by Dr. Luke. It's all about him. This is his story. The story of Jesus is thread throughout scriptures from Genesis to the book of the Revelation. This is the story of Jesus. And church is to be about Jesus. It's not about a person. It's, it's not about a style. It's not about preference. If it's about anything other than Jesus, we're getting it wrong. It's all about him. Then we saw the churches to be empowered by one who makes all things possible, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. So we all want to be a part of a spirit-filled church, a, a church where the Spirit of God manifests itself in the way that it did in the book of Acts. We want to depend on that power, but we learn that that power is given to us for a purpose. So the church is also a people who have a clear purpose that they're living for. See, that purpose is described in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Look at that again together. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
So this power that is given to us, the Holy Spirit available to every follower of Christ according to the pages of Scripture, this power is given to us on purpose for a specific purpose and that is to be his witnesses. If we're not using the power of God to be witnesses for him, the power of God, I don't believe, will be readily available to us. So if in your life you're saying, boy, I wish I had more of the power of God, let me just ask you this. How are you living your life as a witness for Christ? And last week I introduced a phrase to you that we're going to talk about again and again. In fact, in the month of August, we'll spend an entire month around this one phrase. Here it is. Who's your one? Who's the one person in your little corner of the world that if you just build a relationship, if you prayed for them, if you begin to talk to them to the best of your ability, not as a theologian or a doctrinal scholar, but to the best of your ability about the things of God, who's the one person in your little corner of the world that God may allow you to influence for his glory for eternity? And then we saw that the church is a people that have a promise worth dying for. And that promise was described by angels. Uh, the disciples watched Jesus ascend into heaven. So here they are on the roller coaster again. And there we saw them like this. And an angel of the Lord appears and says, Men of Galilee, why, what are you doing? Stop gazing and get busy. Stop gazing and get busy. And anytime we hear something like that, it's a reminder to many of us who are a part of the church. That while there are times where we sit and we soak it in and, and we try to listen to God and, and get all that he wants us to get, there are other times in our life where we are to be busy doing the things he's told us to do. So did they do it? That's where we left off. Did they get busy? What do you think? This means yes, this means no. Did they get busy? The answer in short is yes. Because in the following verses we're going to see the last thing. The church is people passionate about building his kingdom together. If the church is to be the church like Jesus set it up, it's a church that's passionate about building his kingdom together. They're not passionate about building our kingdoms in fact, most churches today in our culture aren't even about kingdoms. They're about thingdoms. They're passion, passionate about building bigger things so that people will look to them. No, no, no. We're passionate about building his kingdom, and we do it together. There's that word again. We have to do it together. We can't be along. The one thing we fight for in church, the one fight we should be known for, is that we want to fight to be better together. So how do we do that? How do imperfect people accomplish this perfect goal of representing Jesus and building his kingdom? In fact, let's just begin there. Are you passionate about the kingdom of God? We learned what that was last week. The kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of Jesus in any individual's life. Remember how we said it's the flag of God's kingdom flying, demonstrating that he's in residence in your heart today? Are you passionate about the kingdom of God? Are you passionate about seeing it built with other people? Well, notice what happens where we left off. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem. This is those that, to whom we're gazing into heaven. They're getting busy. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. 
They were on the mountain of, Mount of Olives, and they were returning to Jerusalem, and we're told it's a Sabbath day's journey. Look at this picture. It's from the Mount of Olives. This was taken last summer. And you can see that from the Mount of Olives, you can see all into the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, there in the center, you have what is now a Islamic place of worship. It's called the Dome of the Rock. But in Jesus' day, you would have seen the temple. You see the gates of the city. Well, why does he tell us it's a Sabbath day's journey? The Hebrews had made the laws of God burdens for man. That's why Jesus would come and say things like, I've not come to abolish the law, I've just come to fulfill the law. To help you understand the whole purpose of why this was there to begin with. And so they had taken a law like the Sabbath law that was meant to be a blessing. Think about that. God established, that's one of the first things he did, create a day of rest. And then when we got the big ten, the ten commandments, he told us to use that day of rest. It's a blessing to us. And the Hebrews had made that a burden. So there were all these things you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And one of those things is you could only walk a certain distance. A certain number of cubits, the measurement in the Bible. It would amount to less than three quarters of a mile. So here's what we know. This journey from the Mount of Olives to the place they were going was less than three quarters of a mile. It was just a short walk, really, down the mountain into the city. Now, I wanted to pause there because I want you to understand that we still need Sabbath. And I think we make it burdensome sometimes. And it's burdensome because we make it busy. Or it's burdensome because we make it barren. And God still wants you to take time and pause and reflect on who He is. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says the Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Look at verse 13. When they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. So when they had entered, they went up. They got above the hustle and bustle. You ever need to get above the hustle and bustle of life? See, that's part of what the Sabbath is intended for. For you to step aside so that you can focus on what God wants you to do. That's what they're doing. And again, that was taking place in the upper room. This is one of the more famous sites in all of Christianity because it's assumed that the upper room is the place where the Last Supper occurred. It's a place where Jesus appeared to his disciples on multiple occasions. And you can go in Jerusalem today and visit the church that was built on the upper room. There's me and my son Caleb. Now you see it's a church, but literally still today. And I show you these things because I want you to know this is not fiction. This is not a fable story, but this is something that really happened. 
these men and women, they went to this place and they set themselves above so that they could do what Jesus had asked them to do. Now notice the names I read. How many names did I read? Why were there just 11 names? Because Judas, the betrayer, has taken his life. What were they doing? What were these in the upper room doing? Well, they were obeying the instruction of the angel. What was the instruction of the angel? Do you remember it now? Stop gazing. Get busy. But they were also doing what Jesus told them to do. Now, what did Jesus tell them to do? This is a hard one because it's a four-letter word that we hate. Wait. Raise your hand if you like to wait. I will drive 15 extra miles if I can just keep moving. I hate to wait. And that's what Jesus told them to do. And that's important because that leads us to to what the church looks like when we do what Jesus tells us to do. Let me give you these four things. The church that obeys Jesus steps out in faith together. The church that obeys Jesus steps out together faithfully. The first act of these earliest Christ followers was to be obedient. And that's important because that still should be the first act of every Christ follower. Let me illustrate this. The Bible says when Jesus was preaching that he would preach this, repent and then be baptized. Repentance is when you turn, you're going your direction, but you make a change of direction You turn and you begin to follow Christ. Jesus was preaching, repent and be baptized. Repenting is when they turn to follow Christ. What then is the first step of obedience for the person who's repented? It was according to Jesus believers, baptism. That's why in our church we preach about water baptism. The importance of after beginning that relationship with Christ, taking that time where you are immersed, just as Jesus was in the Jordan River, you were immersed into the water. You're doing that out of obedience, but it's a huge symbol. It symbolizes that like Jesus was buried, so you have an old way of life that is buried. And just like Jesus is raised again, you are raised to walk with new life in Christ. This is one of the reasons I wanted you to hold on to that communication card today. Some of you, you need to take that first step of obedience. Believer's baptism. You've got a relationship with Christ, but you've never done that. Or perhaps you've done that, but it was before you really understood what it was to have a relationship with Christ. And now you need to get that on the right side of that relationship. I want you to take that communication card out and let us know that somehow. There's several places you can check off and that second box you check off just would tell us you're interested in believers baptism you also could just write us a note and guess what at the end of this month i'll even give you a chance to be baptized in the gulf of mexico if you like it we're going to go to the beach and have a fun party in the afternoon and i would love the privilege of helping you take that step of obedience that's what they did they were obedient and they did it together 
See, when we understand what the church is, we're committed to doing what we do together. When we fail to do that, we're not obeying the commands of Jesus. Because Jesus said at the height of his command is that we love one another. Paul puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 24 and 25. When we come together, we're spurring one another on in those good deeds of love. You understand how that works. There's strength in numbers. We feel better about doing things together. Say together. That's why when you got in trouble as a child and your mama or your daddy said, why did you do this? You said, because Everybody is doing it because there's something about numbers. One of my best together moments in all of my life was 20 years ago on the mall in Washington, D.C. It was an event by Promise Keepers called Stand in the Gap. And you can see these hundreds of thousands of men gathered on the mall. I, I can remember right about there. I wasn't real close. Right about there putting my face in the dirt on that mall, that grassy mall in Washington, D.C., and letting my nose hit that grass and dirt and just saying, God, I want my life to glorify you. There was strength in doing that because we were together. It's always easier, easier to walk in obedience when you're together. That's why when we come to church, we get recharged, we get motivated, and we realize, oh, I'm not out there all alone. If we're all alone, we think, there's no way I can do this. Seems impossible, but together. That's why Jesus would pray in John 17. We call it the high priestly prayer. He would pray, Lord, and for those that would follow me. So we could fill in those that will be living in 2019 and they have followed me. That's who he's praying for. Those who will, who will follow me. He did not pray, help them to be healthy, help them to be wealthy, help them to be wise. No, he didn't pray that. He didn't say, protect them, provide for them. Nope. He simply prayed this, Father, may they be one, just as you and I are one. Jesus prayed for unity in the church, together. Unity is not uniformity. We don't look alike. We don't all like the same things. Not unanimity. We don't even have to always agree. We just don't want to be disagreeable, right? We recognize that the purpose for which we agree is far greater than anything we disagree with. And so that's 120 of them. Think about those 120 who were gathered there together, stepping out in obedience to the commands of Jesus. They were together. Think about who was there. Peter. Think he had any opinions? The disciples had fought among themselves about who was greatest. Think they were still struggling with that in this moment? You've got Thomas. He doubted everything. I think they were probably Baptists. I grew up Baptist. You know that Baptist saying where, where two or more are gathered, there's at least three opinions? They were different. They had their own baggage. They had their own challenges. But they were together. And in their togetherness, they were obedient. Let me ask you this question before we move on. Is there anything in your life that Jesus has told you to do? 
that you're not doing. Because delayed obedience is always disobedience. For they stepped out together faithfully. But there's another characteristic. Look at verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together. There's the word again. With the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So not only do we have these disciples who had had trouble getting along, now we've got the mother of Jesus, Mary, and we've got these brothers. We know the half-brothers of Jesus. They didn't even believe he was the Messiah while he was living. So somewhere in this six-week period, they must have come to understanding who he really was. They're there, and what are they doing? According to verse 14, they're devoting themselves to prayer. The church that obeys Jesus prays together fervently. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.